And now for something completely machinima. Welcome back to And Now for Something Machinima. Uh, with continuing our space and sci-fi themed. And in this particular episode, we're going to be um, having some discussions about machinima. But I thought we'd start off with um, talking about machinima and sci-fi has always been a big part of uh, machinima. Uh, it seems to be a very popular theme for people making machinima to use in their creations. Um, so why do you think that is? Well, one of the obvious reasons is that uh, science fiction, par- partially due to the Star Wars effect, became a major uh, genre. And it was right around the times when game development was starting to happen, uh, rolling into the 80s. And then in the 90s, the subsequent success of the Star Wars uh, series made it a natural for video games. And that made it so popular that people thought, well, we need to do other science fiction video games. And the gaming world has always had a strong element of science fiction to begin with because it's technology oriented. And technology is one of the major themes of science fiction. Its impact on culture, its impact on race, its impact on gender and politics. Um, so it's natural that machinima filmmakers would latch onto games that have science fiction themes and their machinima would be science fiction themed as well. But we had some developments. Doom itself is a science fiction element with a game with elements of horror added to it. Um, Quake is the same kind of thing. You're in a science fiction world. The science fiction duels that started the beginning of machinima were things that you could see in literature, in science fiction literature. Um, also, uh, a major impact was uh, Valve's Half-Life series, which had some of the most incredible pop- popularity amongst gamers. And then people started making all sorts of interesting Half-Life machinima films. So science fiction has always been an important aspect of gaming and therefore uh, machinima as well. Some of my very favorite machinima films are science fiction films. Uh, after we do our initial uh, uh, round of comments, I've made a sort of inform- a quick informal list of some of the most important science fiction machinima films that I'll share with you guys. I'm looking forward to hearing that. I, w- I was just going to say Helmets. <laughs> ah, yeah yeah that's good it doesn't be part of the appeal but but in seriousness uh you know i mean halo um was a, a a easy entry point for machinima um for a number of reasons but i mean certainly one that made production uh easier uh was not having to worry about lip sync you know and with with the helmet there that that you know they would emote through body movement, there was no worry about facial expression, um, no worry about lip sync. Of course, at the time, Machinima made and other game engines didn't have lip sync, generally speaking. It was just right. too damn hard, you know, or just not possible at all. And so pe- the only way people could pull it off would be to use a post-production tool like uh, Reillusion's Crazy Talk, which can, can you know, add mouth and facial movement to a still image. But I mean, that's that's technically very challenging to uh, to implement that to the degree of skill that, let's say, right. Leo Lucian Bay did in uh, Beast. He used crazy yes. talk for uh, the mouth mo- movement on that. 
Um, but yeah, I think uh, that the the film that we watched uh, of Damien's this month, the uh, the Star Wars one, uh, helmets. How much production time did that save them in that? Uh, <laughs> and does it save the guys who make the real Clone Wars series and and those types of things that that you know it's it's a lot easier, a lot less stuff to worry about when when you don't have to worry about the face. And that's not a criticism. It's just a, it's just a fact. It's just easier. Um, so, uh, now of course there are a lot of games now that, uh, make that easier to contend with. I think probably the first and foremost leader in that regard was, uh, Valve, the source engine with the source filmmaker and Gary's mod and those toolkits that the ability to animate those types of things in game to where things like, you remember Paul Marino's, uh, still seeing Breen, that music video, mm-hmm. Um, and there was, you know, the ability to do very good, uh, facial animation and lip sync, um, that of course a sci-fi game as well. So anyway, so I kind of meant it like half as a joke, as a, as a rub to, to, uh, to, to what Halo sometimes gets criticized for, but, um, but there's also some truth to it. I think you're right there. Cause uh, there's a reason C-3PO and Stormtroopers uh, my favorite characters animates in my own projects, <laughs> or R two for that matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess it's also it would. It's also the case, is, is it not that you know you because because games and, and game engines provide that kind of extended window onto pure fantasy and and escapist story worlds. You know, you're never going to achieve the same kind of immersive experience in film and theatrical plays um, because you've got real physics to deal with. Um, so it's harder to create that sort of suspension of, of disbelief, is it? I mean, probably yeah, I agree. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that and also the fact that, and maybe this is kind of what you were getting at too, Tracy, that with, with sci-fi and fantasy worlds, there's a, if you're telling a story set within today's, you know, modern world, or even as a specific historical period, there are certain conventions you're expected to follow, certain rules that you can't break, you know, anachronisms and whatnot that you, and, and you know, there's just certain things that aren't possible hmm. uh, in sci-fi and, and in some, some forms of fantasy. Well, anything's possible, really. You can, you can make mm-hmm. anything happen. And the only rule you have to follow usually is to make it consistent within the world you've made there. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. in if, if in the Star Wars world you can go through hyperspace and end up somewhere and you know nobody has lost any time and grown an extra beard or whatever, then that's the Star Wars universe. And as long as you don't break that convention, then then it works. You know, and I, I think sci-fi offers a lot of freedom to uh to to either break the rules or write new rules mm. about what's possible. And yeah. uh, first of all, that's fun. That's, I think that's the, probably, sure been, that's been an appeal of science fiction since before there was ever movies. Mm. You know, I think even in writing science fiction, mm. that's one of the, the great joys of that genre is that freedom to just really <clears throat> stretch and, and uh, explore new things. Um, the other thing that I think is is great about sci-fi as a storytelling medium is what I think what Gene Roddenberry did with the Star Trek series 
perfectly illustrates this, and that is you can talk about uh, pretty sensitive political or you know certain themes that would be really uncomfortable to talk about if it was set in the modern world. Mm-hmm. But you you would see in exactly. the Star Trek show even in the 1960s when and sometimes to great controversy, you know issues related to race or you know ethnicity or uh, to some degree, gender as well, um, that he could explore those and and push messages, you know, because Gene Roddenberry had a, had a pretty specific view of the world, of what he thought we could be as a species, and, he, and that show was a vehicle to to put that out there as as a message, you know, but it it wasn't nearly as offensive as, you know a preacher getting up and give, delivering that as a sermon right. and you need to do this and you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, essentially that's, that's what was coming through in the messages of Star Trek, but it was delivered with such craft and, and yes, in this package that just made it really enjoyable to watch that, you know, you, you could sit back in your chair and go, well, all right, maybe I will listen to this. Huh? This is interesting. And I think sci-fi has always had that power and, yeah. and the great sci-fi authors and the great sci-fi directors are the ones who really, I think, maximized that opportunity to, uh, frankly, I don't know that Star Wars, that that was really what George Lucas was about when he did it, you know? I think we, we alluded to it in some earlier discussions with Star Wars that he, he really kind of wanted to, to step back a bit and just have fun and, and make it an enjoyable, fun experience. And, and yeah. you know what? The world needs that too. Yeah, yep. I think one of the strengths of sci-fi is when you uh, use it for a vehicle for something else. I mean, the Doctor Who television show, especially in the last 10 years, has been, I would say, with maybe not the greatest effect. They've been pushing the limits of just how much preaching can you get away with in a sci-fi show, you know, and not really tick off people. Uh, but I love that they're trying that, you know, and there's no there's no better vehicle for for trying those things and, and trying to change minds. That's ultimately what people using sci-fi for that reason are trying to do. Yep. Pretty neat. I think that that's a key thing that you said, the difference between polemics and message, not from Western union, but as part of the part of the story. Right. I, I recently reread for a project that I'm working on uh, two HG Wells novels, war of the worlds and time machine. And I started uh, and almost finished with a biography of H.G. Wells because I was trying to understand his background as a as a person and as a scientist. And he was caught up in a time at the end of the Victorian age in which science of evolution, physics, sociology had all made major impacts on culture. And he wanted to write about that, but he didn't want to write an essay that everybody else was writing. He wanted to write a story that would reflect those ideas. Hence, War of the Worlds. Hence, Time Machine. Which, on rereading, are as fresh as they have ever been mm-hmm. for me. As mm-hmm. fresh as they have ever been. But this time I have the the knowledge, the background knowledge of what he was trying to do with that. The points he was trying to make. And it made it... Um, it enriched the reading experience this time. Now, if you flash all the way forward to uh, Doctor Who, uh, Star Trek, as you mentioned, they're not trying to 
if you you come away from watching it excited and happy about the strange and interesting experience in outer space and oh wow wasn't that alien interesting and oh wow dr spock handled this but at the same time you're getting this interesting message about outsiders how outsiders un- are unfairly kept outside with that we should be more empathetic towards them that women uh, that 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 people who have a different color should not be looked at in, in, in the way they have been traditionally. Uh, science fiction was a way to open all of those things in our society that were repressed, that we could, couldn't talk about openly, but we can do it in the form of the uh, science fiction um, themes and science fiction situations. And it's still that way today. I uh, read uh, 10 novels from the 1960s science fiction, American science fiction, not too long ago, and I discovered the big schism between the old-fashioned folks who were trying to recreate the pulp um, values, which were women have to know their place, women are either mothers or sex objects, Um, uh, there's a class system, people who have wealth are more important than people who don't have wealth, and the new wave science fiction, which, which is addressing all of those issues about politics, have and have nots, about gender, about uh, uh, our futures in space, about technology. And it was clear that there was a, a, a battle between the two going on. And neither side actually won that battle. But the two strands have gone off that still exist in our society today. And I love the fact that games have have followed that same narrative as well. You have some games that pose the traditional uh, structure for some old old guy science fiction for men, women know their place, and new games in which we deal. Look at Half Life. Half Life is a game in which you play a terrorist in a society. How many times have you been put in the role of being? the anarchist in it. No, you're the hero who's fighting the anarchists in a science fiction game. So all of the politics were so subtly there, you know, in games. And I think in a lot of machinima films, the people that picked up on those things reflected them in the films that they were creating. So I think science fiction has had a big impact on machinima. Hmm. Another Uh, game that comes to mind uh, uh, that does that, Ricky, is uh, Bioshock. Um, oh yeah, several series of it, but the first one in particular, um, maybe a little heavy-handed at times, even. But it, it was, uh, I think, it was a response against uh, the popular Ayn Rand philosophies of of how society should be run and and the kind of capitalism that she espoused. And this game basically starts from the premise of, in a sci-fi context, of uh, what if we let that come to pass exactly as, you know, these people say that they want that society to be. What would that look like on the other side of it? If having fallen, mm-hmm. oh, it's just brilliantly done. Yeah. Again, a little heavy handed, but uh, still, I think, effective. And uh, the, the passion of the the guys who wrote and developed that really come through. Uh, it's, and it's, you don't it's have to know anything. No. You don't have to know anything about Ayn Rand. No. In order to enjoy that game. Or yep. That situation. I absolutely agree. No. And it's an exploration of a utopia, a failed utopia, yes. which is another central theme of science fiction, you know? Yeah, either, either uh, you know, because I, I feel like that uh, uh, that Gene Roddenberry's worldview 
Star Trek as a whole kind of gives this sense of that some kind of utopian uh, galactic society is possible. And maybe at the time of Star Trek, they're not quite there, but they're certainly a lot closer to it than we are. You know, that's the implication there. Yeah. But then, yeah, but then the whole dystopian genre uh, deals with the fact that that's never going to work. And here's why, you know, and with various various theories for that. And I think these are like really, really, really important things for us as people, as a people to deal with these ideas, you know, that they must be wrestled with. I would much rather them be wrestled with in some heavy handed sci-fi than in human experiments where lives are at stake. You know, it's, it's, it's valuable to explore for lack of a better word, dangerous ideas in the world of sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, I think it's very valuable and essential. I can um, add a little personal story here. It's one of the shows I watched when I was younger was Babylon 5. And there was a theme between two characters, uh, Commander Ivanova and a telepath named Talia Winters. And it was very heavily suggested that they were attracted to each other and there could be a romance there. Now, what happened is the actress playing Talia Winters wanted to leave the show because she wasn't happy um, not getting to her part of the story yet. So she eventually left. But um, I remember when it was revealed that they had feelings for each other, that was the first time I was aware that two people of the same gender could have that attraction to each other. Because I was very young at the time. I had never experienced this before. And the way they portrayed it was the drama was not because there were two women but because Talia was a telepath and Ivanova hated telepaths because she blamed telepaths for the death of her mother, but she was in love with one. And that's where the conflict was. And I remember sitting down thinking about it. Oh, that makes sense. It's not about the two women. It's about that. So when I actually encountered um, homosexual people for the first time in real life, I had already had that thought and was able to completely accept it without thinking without having to do that awkward pause where I'm coming to terms with it in processing it in my head because I, I'd already had that and it's just from watching a TV show and um, I'm, one of those things I'm quite grateful to have had that experience that's a great story Damien that's a great mm. story that's awesome yeah. Roddenberry was so good at that his, his successors too who have carried on the tradition tend to be yeah. very good at that and, and Probably the most famous early example of that type of thing, Damien, that expose of the of that was the when Kirk uh, kissed Lieutenant O'Hara. Uhura. Mm. Yeah. It was the first interracial kiss ever ever depicted in television. It was hugely controversial. Like it it, it you know, tripped off the censors and, and I remember that. I oh remember yeah. That. It was a big, big deal. But what was great about it is that when when it was portrayed in the show, it wasn't portrayed as a big deal. In fact, nobody brought up that issue on the show, like in the context of the story. That to yeah. me was the brilliance of it yeah. is just if, if you're wanting this to be under, to come to be understood as normal and acceptable, then portray it as such in this society that he's already established is this is the better version of ourselves that if we, do things right and manage to not blow each other up. Because remember, that's that's the era that he came to Star Trek and Star Trek came to be, mm-hmm. is this world where everybody thought the U.S. and Soviet Union were going to blow each other up and take everybody with them, you know? Mm-hmm. Just this, this, you know, it was a very tense time. 
And, and here, here's this guy that shows well. up and says, you know what? On the other side of this is something much better where we don't disrespect, where, where, where women are empowered, where we do not value people by class, where income isn't even discussed. Yeah. Wealth is not even discussed, you know? And so when you have like, uh, what is it, the Ferengi? Yeah. Who are all yeah. like, the money changers and all that. They look weird. Like it's like absurd. Like everybody in the Federation is like, what is with these guys? You know, mm-hmm. when the truth is they remind us of people that we know, you know, running the slot machines at the store three down, three down from mine, you know? And some of the, so it's brilliant they, that way yeah. of just portraying, you, you can use sci-fi to portray where you and, want us to be and people and won't the, get there right away, but it can, it can lead things that way. There are some yeah. Ferengi episodes in Deep Space Nine where you see the Ferengi perspective on humans and they talk about how human history is very bloody with all the war- world wars and uh-huh. uh, massacres and all that thing. And one of the Ferengi characters actually makes a point saying, we don't have anything like that in our history. So you look down your nose at us for being uh, very profit-orientated, but we've never had these kind of wars and conflicts on our world. Um, so we're actually better than you humans because we've never done that which i think that's a nice way to kind of explore it from the other perspective sure yeah sure absolutely tracy you've been kind of quiet what are your thoughts i've got lots of thoughts on um sci-fi really i think one of the interesting things though with machinima is how it's crossed over with other types of films so um you know with with the self-parodying in halo in Halo that Red versus Blue did. Um, that that was a a kind of a sci-fi crossover. Um, and then, you know, the, um, I'm with. I was always very taken by um, Peter Rasmussen's Stolen Life mm-hmm. um, in 2007, and that's a sort of a, a film noir kind of, you know, a clear mix of genres that he's attempting to do. To do there, um, and unlike some of those more sort of well-known tropes that that you're talking about, I I was quite drawn by some of the the early machinima that Peter Asmussen did. For example, he did one called um, Rendezvous. Rendezvous was um, wonderful. Two, it's what, one it of was, my favorites. Oh. I think it was either his second or third machinima that he did in 2000, which was a sort of a, a deep space kind of serendipitous assignation between what appear to be gendered robots. I don't know if they are. Yeah. Uh, and there's sort of a, you know, but then, but it's not just about a sort of a lead me into trouble kind of um, story there. It's also, you, you know, there's also other sort of aspects to that, that going on. It's, it's all those crossovers that I, I quite like that are being played with through through the storytelling, um, so yeah, but but Rendezvous stood out for me there, um, which I think was a preparatory piece uh, for uh, Stolen Life, as was Killer Robot, Killer Robot, too, um, yeah. which was another one of the films that he was he was playing with. I didn't realize quite what the issues were that he was trying to uh, address in playing with the technologies that he was actually using, you know, the, the robot voices and, and what have you. I didn't realise why he was playing with those at that 
that sort of point in time. But nonetheless, the fact that he's kind of trying to think about current current types of storytelling and wrap them in with with these robot sci-fi scenarios was a was a fascinating way in which to take sci-fi itself I thought what do you guys think yes very much so I think Rasmussen he's on my list of um, important uh, uh, machinima films that were created He's probably one of the premier uh, uh, machinima filmmakers in science fiction. Some of the others are uh, Time Traveler series by Pookie Media. I don't know whether any of you saw that. It was for yeah. young adults. Yeah. Created in Second Life. They were excellent series. Um, I like. I love uh, your series, Chronicles of Humanity, and your more recent one. I always forget the title. What's the more recent series? Earth to the Empire. Damien? Yes. Uh, Civil Protection by Ross Scott oh, yeah. is another really interesting series shot in Half-Life. Anachronox, Anachronox the movie, uh, Jake mm-hmm. Hughes. And then uh, Clear Skies uh, series mm-hmm. of movies with uh, Ian Chisholm. Mm-hmm. Probably is the most accomplished and professional mm-hmm. of uh, the series shot in Half-Life and uh, done with uh, immense uh, sensitivity and a skill uh, in terms of science fiction tropes. Mm. Very, very good. Of course, the Red versus Blue series is really good. They also did another series called Panics mm. that's science fiction-oriented by Rooster Teeth. Uh, the Codex um, yeah. a series uh, is a really good one. I think that's a halo. Of, uh, there were many science... Uh, Second Life uh, has been a source of many cyberpunk style science fiction series, including some that are quite avant-garde. If you do a search for those, you'll come across a lot of them. Half-Life 2, of course, still seeing Breen, many others. Star Citizen has been a big one. Halo. Um, also, I've, I've noticed an interesting series of, of more recent science fiction films being done using a game slash application called Space Engine. Uh, I included originally a, a movie that I had... Um, Space Cowboy that I had uh, come across. And the Space Engine is a, it generates a universe each time. And it's a kind of infinite universe in which you have all of the stellar phenomena that you uh, see in space. Uh, uh, Black holes, uh, space nebula, double stars, um, all sorts of astronomical and physical phenomena. things that are that are involved in it and you can travel through this universe at time and place you can select your locations you can adjust the time the lighting the the time of day uh they've recently come up with a lot of mods to it so you can introduce a spaceship or multiple spaceships it's a great format for being able to create uh, if you were doing a science fiction series and you needed those establishing shots before you go inside of something it's a great way to set those up i think the game is like 24.95 on steam right now but some of the stuff that's been done it's reminiscent of the school uh, uh, videos that you saw when you were in school for physics or something on astronomy in the solar system except for they're much more beautiful and they're done with great, uh, they're done with a great sense of uh, fun and excitement. It reminded me a lot of Star Wars without all the characters. 
Yeah, it reminded me of those educational films made by like uh, Carl Sagan. Do you know I was just going to say? Or even Stephen, even even, uh, some of the documentaries made based on Stephen Hawking's work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Those those illustrations. Yeah. The the, the visuals are really nice with it. Mm. We'll put a link in the show notes for Space Engine. And it's also something I'm going to play with. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to come out of it, but I I really want to. I think I want to check it out as well. It looks like it's a very interesting. And listeners, if you if we've left out any important sci-fi movies made uh, as machinima, please let us know. Um, Phil's dying to hear from anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, moving on to our next uh, topic, I thought uh, since we've been discussing sci-fi and Star Wars machinima, we should. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the platforms that are available. Um, uh, so, obviously, we've got games like Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Space Engine that Ricky's just mentioned. Um, if you're looking to make uh, Star Wars stories in particular, uh, there's a few, uh, well, more than a few Star Wars video games out there. Uh, some of the best ones available are actually Jedi Academy uh, because it's heavily modifiable. Uh, there's a very healthy modding community out there who, even now, the game is um, it's quite an old game now, but uh, people are still creating new characters and new uh, maps that you can use um, in, in your productions. Uh, another good one is Empire at War. Um, again, it's, got a, it's very heavily moddable, and it's recently had it, um, Steam Workshop support added, so there's tons of mods uh, on there to uh, improve oh, the graphics. Great. great. Uh, and because there's so many different areas of Star Wars, there's mods for pretty much all of them. So if you want to do a, a Clone Wars themed film, you can get, there's a number of Clone Wars mods out there. So you can get all the Clone Wars ships in it. That's really good for big sort of space battles or ground battles as well, because it does space uh, and ground uh, uh, battles. Um, some of the more recent games, like Battlefront 2 or Squadrons or Fallen Order, they look fantastic, but they're not really designed uh, to be modded or have much in the way of camera support. So I'm not saying you can't do it, but it might be very tricky, which is why some of these older games uh, might be better suited for it, which is leads into the discussion of how do we feel about using older games to make machinima um, now? Mm. Right. Oh, one uh, uh, platform that we didn't mention was Eve Online. Oh, yeah, that's another good one. That's a big one because with- it, it's a multiplayer, so you can do you the old-fashioned, hey, I'm the director, the rest of you guys or gals go in out and do that stuff, and we can record it. So that's a good source as well. Yeah. So, yeah, how do we feel about uh, old, using old games to create machinima? Do you think the older games have got, too much of a clunky feel now to them, given that graphics quality has changed so much and audience expectations are for increasingly sophisticated kind of content. And if if that's the case, what do you think of tools like Deoldify in terms of maybe looking at some of that content and refreshing it is that is that a possible route to go i'm think i'm you know i'm looking at for example something like beast that we talked about in one of our episodes um, a little while ago 
and the, the quality of the of the performance is no doubt outstanding but the graphics quality now will let that down uh, and you wouldn't get the same response to that now as you would have done then so how do you how do you overcome that kind of aesthetic uh, hmm. that's a very good question yeah I think one way to look at it is um, it may not necessarily attract the, the modern gaming audience because they want the latest graphics in for whatever the latest games are in, in the videos they watch but uh, um, one way to look at it is it, it's a stylized approach uh, we talked a bit about the, the Clone Wars cartoon series uh, throughout this episode and it in no way looks um, like it's a very high it's not very photorealistic the characters are very sort of cartoony looking and the animation especially the early blocky. seasons yeah yeah but that's it's designed that way on purpose uh, and that, that's the stylized approach like you can you'll see a picture of Anakin Skywalker in, in the show he doesn't really look like Hayden Christensen the actor who played him in the, the live action films but you know instantly that it is Anakin Skywalker because there's enough of a stylized resemblance to him that you get you, you recognize who he is and maybe some of these older games have they are kind of blocky and the animation can be jerky and you, maybe you don't get quite the same amount of control as if you were using a modern game or something like iClone but you could still treat it as a stylized film rather than a more realistic film I've got really intrigued lately by the the AI based restoration of image and video files like like for example the Lumiere brothers 1896 snowball fight um which was you know one of the first moving image films ever made and when you have a look at this you'll see that what they've what they've basically done is they've they've filled in the gaps in the footage increased the contrast in it and colorized it so the sound is rubbish don't listen to the sound but have a look at the film and see what they've they've done with it now i i wondered if you could do the same kind of thing with old machinima films um, so I had a, um, a little, little play with it. I took a piece of, um, Hugh Hancock's blood spell, uh, took a, took a character from, from that and, uh, ran it through the, my heritage app, which is where the de-oldify app that was used with the snowball fight, um, has subsequently been incorporated into this, um, commercially available, well, it's, it's freely available software in in my in my heritage um just to see what you end up with and it's 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 pretty clever stuff you know you you've got something that was quite a grainy animated image i only did it with a a, a sort of a snapshot i didn't do it with a, a a piece of film i just did it with a snapshot although it will take pieces of film as well and it restored the character's face it's fairly low low res quality um but I was I was pretty impressed with it, and I'm just wondering: Do you think that might be a tool that we can think about using to not just restore old machinima films, but take old games and think about them again as contemporary tools for machinima creation? Well, Diablo has doing that with Diablo Two Remastered, which is coming out at the end of this month. And uh, their demo uh, over this weekend, this, um, they did a select release of the demo to about 100 fans. And those fans have been putting up on their Discord channel their play with it. 
And as part of the game, it allows you to be able to, as you're playing the game, the, the restored version, to switch back to the old version in the middle of playing. You can, you can go back and forth. So they did that so you could see the difference in visual quality, and it's just striking. Striking. Um, but you see, the other thing that I always remember um, years ago, I wanted to show Diary of a Camper in a, in a film festival that I was speaking at. And, you know, I'd got the original Diary of a Camper um, film as a, as, a, as, a, as a video file, um, which somebody had cut for me from, you know, from one of the early mm-hmm. games. And then I, I, for whatever reason, I, I, I lost it. Maybe my machine crashed or something. And I ended up getting a hold of another copy of Diary of a Camper. Um, but it had been shot on a more modern, uh, a more modern computer, and the colours in it were completely different, completely different, hmm. such that you wouldn't even recognise it as the same film. And then I, and I was sort of, you know, what is it we're trying to do here? Are we, you know, are we, are we, are we trying to sort of preserve the original films and and just show them for what they are and were and respect them for what they were or are we trying to sort of you know re restore them and show them in a different context i think you have to be quite clear about what it is you're trying to do so i i i have this these questions about you know the use of these old tools uh the role of old games and the and the way in which they're being used to uh appeal to new audiences, I think, really. Yeah, some interesting questions, yeah. Um, Yeah, it does (laughs) does come down to the the purpose. Yeah, some of those old old game engines, uh, I mean, even Doom, there's still people today, that game is 25 years old or more, and there's still people today revamping the the game engine for that where you can take the original wad file which was what holds all the levels and how they're connected together and all that stuff but it's in this completely retextured engine or you know maybe there's a new you know the original doom you could only look from side to side there was no third dimension looking up well now it's very easy to just make it mouse look like any 3d game and the game still plays but the textures are like real high res and yet it plays, you know, it's it's essentially the same gameplay. Um, nothing has changed in that regard. And I know that that people have been doing that with Quake for years, and now they've been doing it with Quake 2. Um, and yeah, it does make you wonder, like if you took some of the old films made in those old engines, ran them through that on a really high-end machine with these sized-up graphics, essentially what Mass Effect is doing to their games um, you know, they're retexturing and, and um, they're, they're probably tweaking some gameplay elements as well. But most of it is just about just making it look better, you know, because it just hasn't aged as well as they'd like. Or in some cases, like I have, I, I bought Mass Effect within the last 12 months. I bought another copy of it because I'd lost my original through Steam. I can't even run it. Like it doesn't even, you can't even get the menus to display properly enough to run the game in, in Windows 10. So I'm kind of excited to to see the revamped version for that. But that's different. That's if the game doesn't function. Um, what, what we're talking about here is, yeah, 
probably the same conversations that come up when, you know, somebody takes one of the old, you know, Thomas Edison films from the early 1900s or even, you know, classic Laurel and Hardy films or something. And they they'll colorize it. And, you know, people have been doing that for decades and it's the technology is just getting better and better and better. Um, and now with the AI possibilities to enhance that even further, yeah, yeah, it does raise the question yeah. of. I think the the answer is easier with something like Laurel and Hardy, where I don't think it's it's as important to most people to preserve exactly what the filmic quality was at the time it was made. It's more about keeping those performances alive for yeah. another generation. This is about yeah. those two guys, you know, and that cast, yeah. the Three Stooges, the Marx Brothers, all those old films that are deteriorating away. This is a way to keep those performances alive. Yeah, yeah. With Diary of a Camper, I don't know if, uh, I guess that the same could be said there, but it's it's somehow different because it's the, the, the performances run through a video game anyway. So yeah, it raises some really interesting questions. And I honestly, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it either way. I don't, I don't have well, a strong you, feeling either way. In the commercial marketplace, the idea of repackaging and reselling something with Im improvements is a long established practice. They do it forever. But in something that is part of a cultural marketplace, I think there's a whole different way of looking at it. I would like to see better copies of early machinima films. Yeah. And I think AI, that whole, that whole notion of upscaling things using AI technology has been very popular in the last uh, two or three years because now you can actually do it without uh, having to do a lot of manual labor. Right. You could do a restoration using software. So I think, I think it's a good idea. Um, it brings, it raises other questions about motive, you know, are you going to say that this is your film now that mm. you've fixed it or is it still the people that invented it or created it? So those are issues that I think are going to be tough to, to work out. Mm. Really good point. Really good point. Yeah. I'm just thinking about that now is. If someone did upscale, uh, say, Consanguinity, my very first Machinima project, um, post it on their YouTube channel, I'm not sure I'd be too thrilled that they'd done that uh, without asking me. Um, on the other hand, thinking about it now, that is a quite a tempting project idea to do myself. <laughs> I don't know if I would actually do it, but uh, I've got so many other more recent projects. But just I'm kind of curious, how would that look now if I were to run it through some kind of upscaling software? Yeah. 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 My male oh. restroom etiquette film was rendered in 640 by 480, you know, very low res by today's standards, uh, almost a third the size of full HD. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's the highest res that it exists in. Like I never rendered it out to anything higher than that. I didn't have enough space on my computer to do it. And the footage wasn't even captured in, I think the footage was captured in 800 by 600. So yeah. And that was what fifteen years ago now. So, mm. um, and yeah, so it, it's, the thing is, is with with a with a with a movie like Diary of a Camper or any of the Quake classic Quake movies, a lot of those were designed to be played and viewed within the engine. So you can get the original demo files and play them back in whatever version of the game you want, and then recapture footage. 
but for films that were edited outside of the game, like like Mailrose Dramatica, for example, there's no way to do it any other way other than perhaps this deoldify type technology. Because there's, there's, I'm not going to make that again. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. That was a crazy production process. Yeah. <laughs> not for five million more views would I do that. No way. Right, right. So, yes. but, but yet I would sure love, I, I hate going to, to see that movie on YouTube and it, yeah, you've, you've full size it up and it's like, wow, this, to, you know, it's grainy, really grainy. So it does, it, it makes me wonder, gee, I wonder what could be done with that technology. It was unthinkable not too long ago to be able to upscale and yeah. have any kind of good result at all. You know, yeah. so now that that's possible, now we got these questions to contend with. Yeah. Well, it's funny this question comes up because I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it, and about a week ago I came across a site that talked about being able to use Microsoft 3D Movie Maker in Windows 10. <laughs> now, if you remember Microsoft 3D Movie Maker, it was made for kids as part of Microsoft Kids back in. When the hell was it? 80, 80 something, 83, I think. But there's a whole movement of people who are making movies today in Microsoft Movie Maker. They've modded it. They, there's a whole mod community that have created content for it, that share their movies, that have festivals. <laughs> um, they're awful festivals. But <laughs> the, the, it was fascinating. So I... And, and there's one guy that had a whole thing on how to download it, how to set it up. I did. I downloaded it. And I've been playing with it for the last three or four days. Huh. And I think what it is is that it's not, it's not that it's old. It's just that the quality of the and the strangeness of it makes for wanting to tell strange stories because of the way it looks. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to do a straight, realistic drama with it because it would just be absurd. But if you wanted to do something very strange, like one of the things they did, which I thought was hilarious, uh, frightening and its implications for our society, but about 20 filmmakers, they had a character that they didn't like and that was a part of the original um, a Microsoft 3D uh, movie maker. And they said, well, how many different ways can we kill this character? <laughs> so 20 filmmakers made films on how they would kill this, this character. And it was absolutely hilarious because even though it was made for kids, Microsoft didn't realize they had created all this ability for violence in it. <laughs> And I mean, you can squash them, you can jib them, you can shoot them, you can cut them, you can rip them apart. I mean, it's just hilarious. So, so it's basically the in this case, the older the older game gives me inspiration to create a certain type of story that only that older game can fulfill. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it appeals to me because it's just so... In fact, it reminded me of M. Strange's Nightmare Puppeteer. It had that same strange, weird quality. Mm. And I just love it. I just think it's just terrific. And we'll put links in our show notes on how to download it yourself so you can kill this character, ladies and gentlemen. 
I think I have to give that a try because it sounds uh, like it'd be fun to <laughs> to experiment. <laughs> and I found a very strange bit of news. One of the filmmakers pointed out that the they've gotten rid of this in the download that you that you actually get for movie making but microsoft created this elaborate system of introductions to filmmaking using this character this green character with this enormous nose hey you want to make a movie here's how you do it that kind of voice you know what i mean <laughs> incredibly annoying which is why they got rid of all of them in the download you get that actor who played that character went on to play the G-Man <laughs> in the Half-Life series. No way. Yes. And when you then they put them together and they played their voices and you could hear a little bit of G-Man in this character's voice. <laughs> oh, oh it's that's just amazing. great. It's just great. I'll, I'll link that so everybody can see it. Oh, please do. <laughs> but I thought it was just fascinating. You know, 20, 15... 15 years before he becomes famous in this thing, he's voice acting for Microsoft in their Microsoft 3D Movie Maker. Hi, kids! This is going to be a fun movie we're going to make! <laughs> it's kind of uh, of filmmaking. What someone needs to do is take the audio from that, Ricky, and bring it into Source Filmmaker <laughs> <laughs> to have the G-Man say a few lines from that. That's Genius. worth doing. Yeah. Absolute genius. Hey, genius. Kids. You are a genius, Philip. Yeah. Right, so I think we've uh, covered that. And uh, anyone listening, if please do, um, if you've got some thoughts on using old uh, video games to make machinima or restoring old machinima projects, please send them in. Uh, we've got our, our feedback, uh, we've got the email, um, and the phone line. I do not have them in front of me. Uh, so, Ricky or Phil, would you like to uh, share our contact details? Yeah, absolutely. Um, email is talk at completelymachinima.com. Uh, there's a phone number on the website that I don't have memorized either, but it's there. <laughs> you can send us text messages that way. Uh, we have a, for lack of a better word, a voicemail system through uh, a, a site called reverb.chat. There's a link to that on our website as well. If you wanted to leave us your uh, note in vocal form, we will uh, we will make a G-Man source filmmaker movie and put your voice in it. Ricky Indeed. will handle the production on that. I will. Um, and then we have a Discord server. Um, you'll, it's the one, uh, if, if, if you stumble upon it, you'll know you're in the right place if you hear the crickets. <laughs> <laughs> tumbleweeds, and, too. You can hear the tumbleweeds. That's right. Or you can comment on, our, on any of our blog posts. Um, just don't use uh, the name Tampon Insertion Galleries. That name is already taken. <laughs> well, I love being with you guys today. It was great. I just love you. Bet. I always get so excited talking to you. And now for something. Yeah, yeah it's been great fun. Really good fun show. Thank you very much. So uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, you'll find all the links to everything we've talked about in the show notes. Uh, so all I have left to say is may the force be with you.